Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. All right, here we are in yet another episode of the Replant boot camp several weeks into the coronavirus pandemic that I think is taking a toll on a lot of people in a lot of ways. But the hard part about that, Bob, is coronavirus is not the only bad thing going on in the world. There's some other things that have been going on. Some of it's I know hit pretty close to home for you. And so I thought it would be a good opportunity for us to discuss that and uh, the loss of a dear friend to you, Darren Patrick. I never met him, but I know that you got to know him well over the years through seminary and ministry together. Tell us a little bit about how well you knew Darren and, and kind of how this has impacted you most recently, the news about him. Yeah, sure, Jimbo. Darren and I met at Midwestern Seminary uh, back in the mid-90s, and uh, it was before uh, Midwestern became like the hottest place to go to in the Midwest. So we used to laughingly describe it as kind of a truck stop slash bookstore slash seminary. <laughs> it was kind of this odd, you know, place. And it was really, it was, it was the year we went was the year, the last year of kind of the moderate, non-conservative faculty at Midwestern. They didn't have a president, an incoming president was going to be there the next year. And so we really experienced two different seminaries in the years that we were there. Mm. We, we both got accepted to an accelerated program that would allow us to use credit from Bible college. Uh, we both went to Southwest Baptist University. We did not know each other there but then we went to Midwestern together. And so um, we had mutual friends and they all said that we should get to know each other. So he was in the accelerated program that I was in and we sat down beside each other and became fast friends and kind of seminary buddies, did some mission trips. We actually, you'll like this Jimbo. He had gone to uh, New Orleans during Mardi Gras and did street evangelism. Yes. And so he, he invited me as a youth pastor. And so I just grew up, I grew up conservative Baptist, Arkansas, and never, I didn't know, I, I could identify New Orleans as a city in the United States. I had no idea what Mardi Gras was all about. Oh and yeah. So he was like, dude, let's go to Mardi Gras and we're going to do street evangelism. And so we, we borrowed the seminaries. They had this big giant VCR camcorder and this like microphone. And so he made up business cards <laughs> like we were like an MTV crew or something. And so we interviewed people. Did they think about, you were part of girls going wild? <laughs> no, I mean, that wasn't even around back then. <laughs> it was so old, man. <laughs> CDs had just come out. I mean, it was like old. So, so we went down there and we just, this dude had a knack for talking to people about the gospel. It yeah. is so engaging. We had conversation after conversation with people about, what they thought about life and if they thought there was a heaven or hell. And then at the end we would say, you know, if there's a heaven, uh, how would you get there? And most of them had no clue. And so then we shut the video off and it would lead into gospel conversation. So we did some things kind of up front there in my seminary years and we got credit for that. We, uh, mission trip, uh, an independent study proposal got credit for that. So, you know, we, we've done some things together. In 2009, he invited me to join the staff team in St. Louis here at the journey. And so I worked for the uh, worked at the journey for three years in, in a couple of different roles. And ultimately 
left there to go pastor Sherwood Baptist and then replant it. So Darren and I have some history together. Families have you know, been around each other, that sort of thing. So when I heard he passed, man, uh, last Thursday, it was a shock. And it was extremely, um, just it was like a bad dream, man. And if you just look at his impact and his imprint across North America, the dude was involved in church planting, uh, wrote some books. Uh, people looked to him for leadership. Obviously, during during the time after I left the journey until this day, he experienced some difficult times and seasons and failures in ministry uh, and went through the restoration process. And so by all outward accounts, seemed to be heading in a positive direction. And then Thursday and you know, we don't know the circumstances or the specifics, and we not, don't really need to get into those, but he's passed, he's gone. And the impact of that has been pretty significant in the St. Louis area. And I think also, if you just, if you view the wider evangelical culture, yeah. um, here's, a, here's another pastor who we've lost at a time when it shouldn't seem that it would be normal for him to go. And yeah. the circumstances, you know, obviously are such that they are, but um, it's just difficult. So a lot of phone calls, a lot of texts, a lot of emails, a lot of man, what happens, um, a lot of how you doings, uh, th- those sorts of things have been happening to me over the last couple of days. So I've gone from shock to anger to, you know, kind of just this resolve of like, okay, well, this has happened, but we lost it. We lost another pastor. And uh, it's always sad when that happens. You know, I think his life, although I never met him, is one of those pastoral lives that had a larger ripple effect than most. He was able to have an impact kind of nationally and even maybe beyond some. It just through not only the successes of his ministry, but maybe even more impact, it seemed, through some of the shortcomings and the way that he responded to those shortcomings. It's one of the reasons I've had a lot of respect for him over the years when a lot of pastors have fallen out of ministry or left ministry never to return to see the way that he approached that with some humility. And I think was something for a lot of people that was very helpful. It's hard to, to think of ourselves as ever being removed from ministry and how we might respond. And then we've seen guys, I'm not talking about Darren, but we've seen guys have a failure and then not go through any kind of process and then just jump right back in. And we see some guys you know, that maybe none of us would recognize on a national stage that had some failure and then just ultimately left. And you never heard from again, really. In some cases, that might be the right thing for somebody who falls from ministry and that could be a good thing. But to publicly kind of go through a restoration process is is something that it's very surface level would communicate uh, something of gospel transformation uh, or at least a desire for that, right? Mm-hmm. Rather uh, than to just walk away and then jump in and try to do something else somewhere with a whole brand new set of people to go through some kind of process where you're seeking to understand some things. So, yeah, I think in many ways, people who look on that from the outside have seen that as something that was different than, than maybe some other cases they've seen before. One thing's about Darren's life, he's, you know, he's such a public figure. And then as of late, he's done a lot of talking and speaking about his, his own struggles. That's one of the things that I think is important for us to say that when a pastor can talk about what he's learning and what he has learned through his own struggles, I think we all benefit from that. Yeah. And so much of the time, I think we, one, we, do, we feel like we're the only ones that are struggling 
as pastors or two that what we're struggling with, we can't say publicly. And, and th- th- I think there's wisdom in that. You, you don't just want to ascend to the pulpit and, you know, talk about all your struggles, but you've got to have a place where you can talk about those things that, that are hard for you and, and uh, process those with, with godly counselors and get wisdom on it. I've always thought that about the kind of current ministry paradigm that we have in the Western world, that we've created this system where pastors are to encourage their congregations to be open about their brokenness, to confess sin and repent and grow, but where it is an unsafe place for pastors to do exactly what they've just preached. I've seen more than my fair share of men I've known in ministry fall tragically. And in, in not, in, not in, in, in sexual ways, in financial ways, in uh, anger, in failed marriages, and we are all human beings, and we can all learn from that transparency that we, we've got to find an outlet and a way where we can be open and honest. It's, it's, far, it's far too easy to function uh, alone in ministry and to feel like you cannot ever express your struggles or shortcomings without fear of losing your job uh, and your, your well-being and how you provide for your family, which is just a really dangerous way to live. Yeah, and it's, you, that's the hard part is, is we, we're in the discussion we're having, we're not discounting the qualifications that are present in Scripture for pastors, for elders. Those are there for a specific reason, and you never compromise on those, right? Those are, those are so key. I think too many times pastors can get put on a pedestal and people think that based on what they teach, they a hundred percent live everything out that they're teaching. Right. And I don't think that's the case for any pastor. Right. And so I think there's the, the tension that we see is when a, when a pastor falls or a pastor passes away, we're, we wrestle with, okay, well, this is what he taught, but this is what I'm hearing. And, and how do we reconcile the two? And I think, I think each of us have to understand that in our own walk with Christ, the process of sanctification and becoming who he wants us to be is, is always at work. And so maybe I'm a little less uh, inclined towards this particular sin than I was, you know, last year or year before that sort of thing. And again, not saying that there are disqualifying sins, obviously, but there are some that are, that are, um, you know, what we would call is fruit of the spirit, absence of those things, you know, just things that we're, we're working on them and, and continue to be sanctified uh, by those. So, I, you know, as I was thinking about what did we learn from this, um, another pastor, uh, we lose another pastor, what are some of the things that we learned? A couple of thoughts. One is, and, and I think if you listen to Darren's story over the last couple of months and years, these are things that he said about his own life that I think are true indicative of, of most pastors. He said, you know, he struggled with relationships inside the church and deep relationships uh, just to make friendships, that sort of thing. Got caught up in doing ministry and just, you know, that performance every week, there's, there's something you got to do. You got to do sermon, you got to do leadership, you got to do all those things. And, and as pastors, we can become exhausted, tired, and isolated. And sometimes if there's not an accountable structure in place, an elder team or uh, local leaders or deacons or somebody to really not just hold you accountable for your vocational life, but for your spiritual life. 
in how you're how you're living out the gospel and are you being uh, filled by the spirit and demonstrating the fruit of the spirit those sorts of things and so i think that that in his story we hear some of those things that he said in his own words that are really informative for us as pastors now because i don't think it's a it's not we can talk about celebrity pastors and platforms and all those and there's a whole different set of pressures that are indicative to that platform there are a whole well, set most of pressures. replanters aren't going to deal with celebrity no, pastor no, issues though no no but we've got our own man you know we've we've got our own issues that are unique to our circumstances situation so i think we got to be cautious not to to look at one pastor because his flock and his platform are a certain size uh, and it's a different size differential. We, we've just got to understand our challenges, our unique challenges. And so I, I kind of made a list of those. I'd love to share a few of them and just have maybe us go back and forth. The first one is far too easy to function alone in ministry. And whether that's you're, you're functioning alone from a, um, I'm doing everything because I'm in a normative size church, or I'm thinking about everything and not talking with anybody about ministry and about what I'm thinking because I'm in such a big church. I think we can just be isolated on our own. Yeah, I think it's so important. We've talked in here many times about the importance of having ministry teams. And I think that, that's not just strategic. I think there's a spiritual health aspect to not carrying the water by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and and having, having people that you are partnered in ministry with, I would say my most exhausting and discouraging moments in ministry were when I've felt alone in, yeah. and I felt like, and that, that hit me harder than even opposition. It hit me harder than the fear of failure. Uh, but just that, like the weight of, I feel like I'm carrying this whole thing all by myself is so discouraging and heavy. It is. And I think alone in the sense, here's, here's where I felt alone before. I've been really burdened by some aspect about the church, about spiritual health or about its functioning, its administration or its leadership. And because I'm the vocational leader, even though I'm part-time or bivocational, I carry the bulk of that weight and I feel like I carry it alone. And, and I want somebody to walk with me and carry and feel the same way I feel about it. I don't know if that's ever going to happen that they'll feel the same weight that I do. But I think I'd, I would just like to know that somebody's as concerned about it as me. But I, I think as the lead elder, lead pastor, so to speak, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to always shoulder the heavier part. One of the other things I think about, too, in, in watching when a, when a pastor either departs, goes to a new location, or maybe he passes, or he's not on the scene anymore at that local church. One of the things I've just learned through this is that People really love their pastor, but people don't say that until their pastor's not around anymore. And that's really hard. And I think one of the ways I'm thinking about how do I speak into this situation, you know, from the the standpoint of maybe like this podcast or with Nam, not necessarily from my congregation, but I think I want to encourage people that if your pastor has had an impact on your life or is having an impact on your life through their teaching or through the ministry, their leaders for the church, let them know, right? Let them know, let them know while they can hear it. Let them know how, how God has used them. And, and more so in, in said, more so than, Hey man, that was a good sermon or this or that, but you know, just actually sharing with them, Hey, here's as a result of your ministry, as a result of your teaching, as a result of your discipling, like here's some significant impact in my life. And we typically reserve those things 
until somebody has departed or has left. And this brings me back to kind of thinking through Mark Halleck. Uh, one of the things he does uh, so well is encourage people. And he says, you got to be relentless in encouragement and just be a relentless encourager. Yeah. And so I've thought about that over the past couple of hours and days since, you know, since last Thursday, I think, okay, well, how can I speak to people and encourage them specifically about their impact in my life and their character and who they are? So that's a really on the forefront of my mind. I think that's massive because one of my struggles as a pastor is you, you don't often get really see the fruit of your labor. Like you don't, you don't know if it's even doing anything and you know, it's why it becomes so fulfilling to go build something in the wood shop or cut the grass or like, because you you can visibly see the, the impact of your effort and in ministry, it's hard, it's hard to see that. And so it, it is so powerful and encouraging when a member gives you very specific feedback of, Hey, here's, here's, here's how this, you have impacted my life by God Mm -hmm. using you. And it's even harder right now when you're preaching to a camera because (laughs) at least, at least before you could notice if somebody was asleep when, when you're preaching or, (laughs) or if they're giving you, you know, the head nod or maybe even a, "Mm, yeah. mm, Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Amen. But, (laughs) but you're just, you know, right now you're preaching to deafening silence and the hum of electronics. I think you're right. Encourage people while, while they're still with you and anybody that has made an impact in your life, let them know. Mm -hmm. It may mean more to them than you could ever imagine. It'd be huge. One of the things I would say to the pastor um, who's receiving some of that encouragement feedback, just take it for what it is at face value. Like if somebody phrases something in such a way that's like not exactly right, it doesn't sound biblical, don't correct them. Like they're just trying to give you feedback. I remember we were leaving a church in Texas to come up to St. Louis and uh, one guy had struggled with addiction all his life and had some marital issues. And and I had just gotten a chance to know him and encourage him and speak into his life. And and he came up with tears in his eyes and kind of our last Sunday there and said, Hey man, I just, I want to, you just, you saved my life. Right. And so my first thought was no, like I'm not the savior. Like Jesus is the savior and all, you know, yeah. and so your salvation, you know, and so I, but that wasn't, he didn't mean that. Right. Right. He, and that was not the time for me to correct that statement to a theological degree. It was the time right. for me just to embrace him and hug him and go, man, it's been such a joy getting to know you and being your pastor and, and I love you and I'm going to miss you. So I would just say to the pastor, like just take it for what it is face value. And some people, some people, man, it's awkward when they try to encourage people and they're not encouragers and they say things that come out weird and mm-hmm. you know, it might be, you know, and I'm not talking about kind of the uh, backhanded criticism that sort of sounds like an encouragement, you know, that's, that's not really that. And that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That sermon was a whole lot better than a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> Actually said to pastors we know. Yeah. One of the other things, Bob, is, is friendships. Real mm-hmm. kind of authentic, no holds barred can be very difficult for pastors, but it's something we have to pursue. Uh, another guy who I have learned some life lessons from that experienced uh, a moral lapse of public moral failure is Gordon McDonald. Oh, yeah. He wrote a book called Ordering Your Private World that I read, uh, honestly, at least once a year. Uh, I say read, I listen to on Audible uh, at, at least once a year. 
And there, there's a part in there. So he updated it a couple of years ago. He wrote it many years back and uh, he updated it with the perspective of being in his 80s uh, a couple of years ago. And there's a section he added. Uh, I pulled up. I just wanted to read for a second. It says, uh, when he looked back on his life, uh, knowing that kind of in his midlife, there was some, some failures. He says, looking back, I did not have what he calls capital F friends during the first half of my life. When people asked who my best friends were, I was content to reply, Gail, my wife, is my best friend, and I don't need anyone else. That was the way I'd been trained to think in my younger days. Leaders, we were told then, need to beware people who get too close. They'll compromise Mm -hmm. your leadership magic, it was said. They'll betray your confidences, and they may turn against you when you least expect it. So I actually bought into that logic at one time and kept most people at a small F distance. And then came midlife, a colossal personal failure, and the possibility that our lives would change forever. As I took a hard look at myself and my brokenness, a question loomed. What do I need more than anything else? And the answer was a few friends, friends of the capital F brand, who will bleed for one another, speak truth to one another, give hope to one another, trust one another, and love one another. And convinced I was right, I set out that day and started searching for my capital F friends. Mm. And that's huge. I love that book. I read that in college and uh, I need to get the updated version. But I I think I've always heard McDonald's story and had a lot of respect for him because he he went through a long restoration process and was silent for a while, a long time before he came back and did anything significant. But that's huge. One thing, Jimbo, I think we, we overlook to our own detriment is many of us have a lot of family of origin drama or trauma that impacts the way we do relationships and the way we view life. And I want to be wise in understanding my family background from a psychological and sociological standpoint. But I also want to just offer that there's some theological aspects of it in this regard. In the Old Testament, we often see that the sins of the father were repeated in the sins of the sons and the daughters, right? And so you can, that's easy to trace. And so if you just, you think through that, you think of Abraham and uh, Isaac and Esau, and you think of David and Absalom and, you know, all, and there's just, there's a truth to that, that, that we've got to be aware of and understand that. We can't look at our families and just totally ignore the influence that they had in our lives, totally reject it and and say that we're going to come out of it unscathed in some ways. It just impacts the way we look at things. Birth order, some things like that can do that. Significant traumas, if there's a divorce or a death, you know, in your in your family and, and one of your parents, and that sort of thing. I think that impacts how you do life. And I don't believe I realized that as much until I hit my early 30s. And there's something that happens to to people in their early 30s and on into their 40s that is significant in the sense that we realize some things about our, our home of origin, our family growing up that have had an impact in our lives. And that's usually when we have kind of one of the first major crises in our lives. And, and it's important, I just would recommend, you gotta go to counseling, you gotta lean into that, you gotta think about that. And every single one of us has, has been impacted by the fall and by sin, and we shouldn't overlook how it creates patterns of relationship that persist in our present time that are tied to our past that need to be unwound and untangled and they need to be redeemed. 
Yeah, uh, I would affirm that. We had a crisis in our marriage a few years ago, not a major moral failure or anything like that, but just a, a crisis point in our marriage. And we sought out professional counseling and realized for the root of it for both of us was family of origin stuff. And it was a Christian counselor, believer, and he had us do a geneogram where we walked through generationally, I think like it was three or four generations back and just identify, hey, what were kind of the major blind spots in these people's lives? Where, you know, where were the addicts? Where were the whoever, you know? And, you know, it's all information that I had in my head. I just had never categorized it in that way. And categorizing in that way was so revelatory for me of, okay, um, this comes from somewhere. This is literally generational in my family. Uh, you know, and I looked back and was just amazed at some of the stuff that I had, I just had not connected the dots on. And it did not excuse any of my own shortcomings, but it helped me understand where they come from. Uh, to a degree, and how to create a plan to come out healthy on the other side of that time with the counselor. And me and my wife were sitting on the front porch, uh, which we've been doing a lot more of recently, and talking. And she just looked at me and said, hey, thank you for fighting for our marriage a few years ago, like you did. Mm -hmm. And I looked back at her and said, thank you. And and so I'll tell you, man, it was it was life-changing in the best possible way for us to be open and go to a counselor and let him speak in and dig in into the darkest corners of our life and, and help us probably saved my marriage and my ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Counseling is, is, uh, underutilized. And, uh, I would just say if you can find a good Christian counselor, uh, it is worth your time. It's worth your investment. And, and, uh, please do that because it'll really help you. Let me say lastly, this, I would say this to pastors out there who are just really feeling the weight of everything. Hey, Jesus died for the church, so we don't have to. Amen. Right? Is way too much for us. And I think so many pastors just blow up and lose lose themselves and lose their families because the weight of the church. They're taking the weight of the church on their shoulders, and it's not ours to take. Right? We are under shepherds. We are not the chief shepherd. And there may be a time when it it becomes too much. And because we've not approached it in a, in a healthy way, in a biblical way, we, we may have to step out and step aside. And I just want to affirm guys, if there's guys that are listening to that, this right now and, and they're just feeling the weight and they don't feel like they can recover and they're only hanging in there because they're just ashamed and embarrassed and, and hanging on, that's not going to end in a great place. So my encouragement to them is man, get some help potentially step aside and experience the healing and the hope that you have in Christ. Cause Jesus died for the church. He died for us. And it's not on our shoulders. Yeah. It's Christ's church. It's not ours. You can only burn out if you're using your own fuel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm often reminded how often Jesus stepped away to be alone and to spend time with the father. And so we need to make sure we're leading out of uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're not leaning in on our own understanding, but letting the Lord guide our steps. And that's not just in our daily life, but it's in our ministry and the way we lead his church, his bride, as we're just servants and we serve at his pleasure. Bob, I appreciate you being willing to openly talk about the loss of a dear friend on this kind of forum. And again, we're not speculating as to what happened um, exactly. We don't know, uh, but we know that we lose too many pastors in general to a lot of different ways. And 
it's just a good moment to look back and reflect on what can you do with your days that the Lord gives you and make the best of it in a way that honors him and is healthy for you and your family and your church. If you guys need any help with anything or you want to discuss any of this further, just feel free to contact us and we'd be glad to help in any way we can or point you in the right direction of some good resources that could help you in your journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.